This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Mary Heron's 2000 film, American Psycho. Hello, here we are at last, the movie episode of American Psycho. Yeah, I think I want to go do some uh, stretches and calisthenics in my whitey tidies and get prepared. So, I mean, this is a spoiler <laughs> right off the bat, but because you said whitey tidies, there may be an there may be an underwear arc in this movie. Is, I noticed really? by the end he was wearing boxers <laughs> instead of whitey tidies. Interesting. I did not catch that part. <laughs> so we can dig into that right. here in a little bit. Okay. Character change. <laughs> How we're going to handle this episode is basically just kind of talk about our experience and then go into some some filmmaker bio yep. and then move into the movie. We're going to do plot details, break down as much of it as we possibly can, and uh, there will be spoilers for it. So tell me about your experience. How did your viewing go? Do you have any? I know you like to have a, a glass of scotch normally. <laughs> you know, I actually didn't have any scotch this time. Um, trying to uh, trying to watch the weight a little bit, so I'm not drinking as much. But yeah, I mean, it was it was still fun even without the scotch. It was still a fun experience. Um, it's it's. I think this is my third time seeing the movie. I'm pretty sure. Um, I think I the first time I saw it, I was way too young, and I think it just kind of turned me off. I was just like, this is crazy, and like I couldn't really get into it. I was way too young. I think I was say 2000, so it was probably shortly after it came out. So I was probably in high school, which I don't think I was really just like prepared for this movie um it's pretty heady if you you know really think about it and then i saw it again a few like probably five or six years ago and i think i appreciated a lot more but this time i think was definitely my best viewing having read the book really added something to it i think a lot of the scenes that seemed almost extraneous the other times i watched it like made a lot more sense i understood why they were there um they were you know reminded me of scenes in the book which is always fun um, that kind of stuff. I was really able to like sink my teeth into the story more, I think, um, this time around. So really, the, yeah, like I said, this is my, I think my best viewing of it. I really, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure how many times I've seen this movie. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Pro- I would say probably like three to five and I've caught pieces of it here and there. If it was like on, you know, some premium channel like HBO or something like that. And yeah, I agree. The first time I saw it, I definitely didn't, I didn't get it. Like it wasn't, it just was over my head. I just didn't understand that there was something else being said other than the fact that this is a crazy movie. Well, I think that's understandable because that may be one of the flaws of this movie is that it kind of demands a second viewing once you kind of understand what it, what's going on, right? So the first time you see it, you don't, you don't know that he's not just actually murdering these people and everything isn't, you know, face value. Right. And that's basically what I took it at the first time I saw it. But yeah, uh, I've, you know, subsequent viewings, I've learned more and more. And this time I definitely got the most out of it. Like you said, reading the book, there were scenes where before I was like, this, what does a scene really mean to the movie? And then the the book will give you more details into, into some of the scenes that, that the movie in the end has. But sometimes you're like, what is this really adding? So yeah, it was a good viewing. I had, um, there's, I have a little, a Phillips Hue light behind my tv mm-hmm. and i made sure that, that i turned it to red before i started the movie <laughs> appropriate so yeah but i think we should move into talking about the filmmaker if you're cool with that because i think there's a lot of interesting stuff here yeah i'm really interested i know that um 
famously made by a woman. Um, I think the screenwriter was also a woman, or they co-screenwrote it. Um, so a lot of people, when they hear that, I think are surprised, right? Because they to, this this movie on the surface does not seem like it was written and directed by women. Yeah. So Mary Heron is the director. She's a Canadian filmmaker and screenwriter. Uh, she's known for writing and directing several indie films. I shot Andy Warhol is kind of her entrance into the industry indie scene and uh, then she was able to make American Psycho because of that and then since then she's done the notorious Betty Page which came out in 05 I haven't seen that uh, but maybe I'll check it out here soon is that it just she's only done one movie since she's she's worked in TV she's done some stuff here and there okay Um, but not a lot but she hasn't yeah it's I feel like she's tried to stay indie and then she's also she works with like she, there were a couple shows like Oz, um, mm. Six Feet Under, The L Word, Big Love. Like she works a lot okay. with HBO, I think, um, directing some of their the, some of their content. So talking about her with American Psycho really quickly before we get into more of her bio, I think it's it's really cool that the producers apparently were pushing for a woman uh, to direct, and whether it was because they wanted to take some of the heat off of the issues and they still wanted the movie to get made. Because as we as we talked about in our book episode, there was a lot of controversy as the book came out and yeah. a lot of, you know, um, boycotting and Backlash. famously this movie had had some uh, protests that they had to navigate around really? and, and make it through. I mean, that makes sense. The, mo- the book was protested so much. I, I can't I can't imagine the movie get made without them. Yeah. So uh, there was also a female screenwriter, Guinevere Turner, and together they wrote American Psycho. I think it was a great choice whether it was their intention or not but it's um i think ellis has come out and said that like having a female eye for this film and showing kind of the masculine toxic masculinity that we talked about in the book episode uh really showing it for what it is rather than a male potentially coming in and not not um nailing down kind of some of the things that go into that well i noticed um something we talk about a lot with movies is male gaze um, and I felt like this movie actually had kind of the opposite kind of had that female gaze like it, there was the camera was like lingering on Christian Bale, you know, like exploring his physique and all that. So it, it seemed like they um, which was, it, you know, which he would love because he's such a narcissist. Right. So it really fits the movie. And then also, I think that's a sign of maybe the woman director. Yeah. Or I, I don't know that it was necessarily female gaze or if it was just her, like you said, like flipping it on its head right. where it's like normally it would be, you know, lingering on the females. So, yeah, she was born in Ontario and grew up with a family that was entrenched in the world of film and theater. Her dad was a Canadian actor, comedian and author, also a director. Her stepmother was an actor. Her stepfather was a novelist. Oh, wow. Her sister was an actor and producer. So everybody around her was involved in in this field in some way. And she, they moved to England and when she was like 13 and she ended up going to St. Anne's College in Oxford. And then she moved back to New York City and was part of the 1970s punk scene, which I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. And she actually wrote for a punk magazine at one point. Wow. In, in New York. So she's kind of uh, been all over the place and, and done a lot. Yeah. Um, especially for the fact that after she had been a writer and traveled all over the place, she became a filmmaker. So she's currently developing a film based on the book, Please Kill Me. Have you ever heard of this book? Please kill me now. Apparently, it's uh, details the 1970s New York punk scene, of which she was a part of. So oh, that cool. would be right in her wheelhouse. Yeah. Did you find anything um, where she talked about like her experience making this movie or anything like that? I did find some of that stuff. Like I said before, there were protests during filming, and she was actually banned. There were um, women's rights groups who saw it, this film as uh, misogynistic and sure. it was based on the book. 
um, saw the production of it as misogynistic, the fact that it was being made. And they kind of turned on her and uh, she, they got in touch with some people. She was banned from restaurants. Um, so they just made her life pretty tough during the production. I listened to an interview before we started recording where she she was with Ellis and Christian Bale oh, wow. being interviewed. I think it was like Charlie Rose, and I think Charlie Rose is a piece of shit, so um, <laughs> fuck him just because his name's being brought up on the podcast. But All right, fair enough. <laughs> it was very interesting to hear her. Pro- I, we're going to get into it, but she basically talked about how the book was purposely not very linear as far as the plot was concerned and stuff, and her process of like picking pieces out, rethreading it in order to make like a coherent... Um, narrative that was like that had a drive to it it was it was very interesting to hear Ellis kind of comment on the things that she'd done and there was a mutual respect and I Ellis did like the movie and she um, she said that she although she didn't get final cut on the film she was it was basically was her final cut she was happy with with what was uh released into theaters cool Charlie Rose was kind of trying to ask her whether what the hardest parts were. Was it hard because she was a woman to film some of the sex scenes and the violent scenes? And she was cool as a cucumber. And she was just like, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was just violent, violent scenes. And I think they were specifically talking more about the violence. And, and he was just asking, as a female director, was it tough for her? And I thought it was cool that she was just like, no, because I'm a filmmaker, not just, you know what I mean? She's, she was saying, like, I'm not just a female, I'm a filmmaker. And just because it's a violent scene doesn't mean that I'm not going to want to be involved in it. Right, yeah, and it's kind of a it's kind of a bullshit question anyway, yeah. Right, this, and this interview was from like two thousand or two thousand one. Okay, all right, man. I think we should probably get into it. Yeah. So I don't know how you ultimately land on this movie, but I feel like it's it's. I think that the movie is funnier than the book. Uh, I think purposely, Heron was able to thread in more of this comedy, and maybe the jokes play better on screen. But although it's like tons of fucked up stuff is happening, there were like. There were things like early on when he is doing like his early morning regimen and we're seeing all the things that he does. So he's he's doing his routine and he's working out. And yeah, the first shot of him in his in his tidy whities like walking around and doing his exercises. I, it just it was funny to me. And I think that it was like intentionally like off, not off putting, but it was supposed to be like awkward. Right. It was supposed to be like awkward and a little funny. Uh, and then as we as the scene plays out, we we see like he's not like he's like dead serious about all this stuff, and it's not very funny. And then something that that stood out to me almost right away was he the song "Walking on Sunshine" starts very early on, <laughs> uh, and it's like do 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 do, and uh, we get these sh- establishing shots of the city. It's like these establishing shots that you would see in like a sitcom where it's like, oh, look how fantastic the city is. And like we're looking up at the building that he's going to be in and, and we're going to, you know, and they're, they're going to cut to the interior of the of the building. And then he's like walking into walking into work, looking all serious with walking on sunshine playing. And I just feel like a lot of it plays really well, even though this guy's like such like we're going to learn how much we hate him at first. It's kind of like a likable or like he doesn't seem like a murderer yet. Right. Yeah. I mean. This movie, uh, it really makes you like him a lot more than the book does. Um, I think it does a lot. And, and then I want to I want to give Christian Bale's performance a lot of props here because I think him, his presence on screen is just magnetic. He's got that charisma. Um, I think a lot of those early scenes are deliberately designed to make us be impressed with the guy, right? And 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 you know whether it's your whether it's you're jealous of his lifestyle or how like how cut he is or whatever it is you know you, you you i think you know that introduction to that character showing him work out is is deliberate to make us feel a certain way about him right and yeah he's 
he's really something. And, and I think um, through him, the comedy works even better, like you said. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because a lot of the comedy is like exactly from the book. But seeing him bring it to life and his physicality as he's talking, um, I, I really picked up this time on like little things he's doing while he's uh, while he's talking about these different these different things and like the look he'll get on his face is always so perfect right um just thinking about him peeling that skin off which is such a great um metaphor for this movie right like peeling away the mask and seeing what's underneath yeah i don't know it just through him like like i said like as a vehicle for the comedy and the dark comedy it just uh, it really shines i i love that scene where he's peeling it off and and he's doing his like monologue and talking about how he's not a human and he's not really there as he's pulling off this facade this mask and yeah I mean, it is voiceover, by the way, which um, I know is kind of controversial, not controversial, but like some people look down on it. Right. Um, But we get a lot of voiceover in this in this movie. And Mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't a problem because I think it I think it we're so tied to his mind. Right. Right. And we need to understand it to understand what's even happening on the screen. Yeah. I I don't mind VO. I don't think that it's really seen as a crutch unless it's used like if you like have the entire movie and it's about like an ensemble cast or something and then at the end of the movie to wrap everything up you have like a monologue that's lazy but if you're setting up a a character that is going insane and we need to other than just seeing the exterior we need to see the interior i don't look down on that at all and i think like you know like scorsese uses a lot of of, uh that kind of stuff so if he can do it i don't i don't see why not (laughs) i think as long um, as it's well well uh, executed yeah i think i think it's it can be a crutch if it's used without a reason, right? Like if it's just, I'm worried people aren't going to understand this. So I'm going to include voiceover to make sure it's clear rather than trying to figure out a way to show, demonstrate it right without the voiceover. Um, that feels like a bad reason to do it. A good reason to do it is to share something about the character that is impossible to share otherwise and is crucial to the plot. So yeah, yeah. I think in this, in this case it works. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to also say real quick before we get past it, the intro of him like with the food and then followed immediately by the voiceover. Um, I just kept thinking of Dexter, right? Me too. Yeah, like, I told I turned to Caitlin and I was like, they totally Dexter totally ripped this off. Yeah, right? they. I mean, it, it's absolutely right. It's the same thing. It's like close ups of them cutting food and stuff, and it being it being similar to like mur- makes me evocative of of murdering people and cutting them up and. Um, they, uh, you think it's blood, but it's actually something else. Like, yeah, that's absolutely similar to Dexter, right? That, yeah, I thought that was funny. That, that it was blatant <laughs> to me. <laughs> so some of the early scenes are very similar to the book, where like he's going to the restaurant and then he's with his friends, and then they go to the club later. And I, I immediately wrote down, "Holy shit, Justin Theroux is in this movie," which I remember, yeah. but I like I also had forgotten. Um, but when I saw it, I was like, "Oh yeah, he is right." Do you, how did you feel about his crazy contact eyes? Does he have contacts in? I didn't even notice. He's wearing like white contacts or something crazy. He looks like a like a snake. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's interesting. I wonder why they had him do that. I I almost felt like it was like maybe the maybe him as the actor was like I want to do this and this would make me look like less human and then they maybe they were just like yeah roll with it. Maybe um it was cuz there's a lot of care to make all these characters kind of look like one another. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if that was maybe maybe they wanted all their eyes to be similar colors or something like bright colors instead of Maybe he has brown eyes in real life. I don't know. Um, Maybe yeah. that's just pure speculation. I don't know <laughs> that's the reason, but um, I do want to say that I'm a big Justin Thoreau fan because The Leftovers is amazing, and I think he 
is fantastic in that show. And it's, this is well before that, obviously, but it's just interesting to see someone who I have a lot of respect for as this kind of like side character right in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it's I didn't really I mean later we're gonna meet Jared Leto's character and I didn't I I, this I knew that he was in it this time but the last couple times that I watched it I went to watch it and I was like holy shit Jared Leto is in this he looks like like a baby man he looks like he's 14 (laughs) yep he does he's 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 probably he probably really is like 20 like 25 maybe no way he's 25 yeah I I I mean unless I mean I don't know I I believe that guy just looks like a baby so who knows he looks super young though yeah it is interesting. This is an example of a book that is almost exactly depicted on screen. Like, yeah. although things are jumbled up, almost everything from the book is in there, just with less ex- like extreme details. Like, we get extreme details, but it's just still less. Um, the other thing I, that I mean, just kind of overall thought I had watching it is it felt like she kind of like took a thread and ran it through the movie, and like th- you know you know if you imagine it on a needle like puncturing all these like important scenes and like bringing them all together and making them more coherent and like uh, more of a narrative through line is represented by that string and i i think it kind of it works i mean it works well for a movie in a book you can argue that maybe it's not as necessary but a lot of the violence in the movie felt a lot more like there was cause like he would he would have a scene where he'd get angry with somebody and then in the next scene he'd either take it out on them or take it out on somebody else he'd get insulted by somebody and then the next scene he'd do something about it and like there was a lot more like cause and effect whereas in the book it was a lot of just random violence like he'd he'd have something happen and then he had pages where he seems fine and he's doing something else and then he'd just randomly attack a homeless person for no apparent reason murder somebody for no apparent reason rape somebody for you know what i mean like all that stuff was very um which almost makes it more unsettling i think because there was no clear reason for him to do these things whereas in the movie even though it's they're insane it was like you could see the cause and effect i guess mm-hmm. i agree and i don't think in the book we get as much of bateman actually realizing that he's like losing his sanity whereas yeah. in the movie he like directly addresses the fact that like he's like I'm going to lose it and I'm like I'm not going to be able to control myself and that this facade that I've created this this mask is going to fall off and I'm just going to go on a rampage. Yeah, it's more well it's like more overt cuz I think that's the subtext of the book but I think in the mm-hmm. movie they wanted to make sure. And it's funny because like it almost sounds like oh they had to they had to make it sure that people could follow it but like like I said I've seen this movie 3 times and I feel like this is the time in which I was really getting it and I'd read the book. Um, mm-hmm. so even as some of this stuff might seem overt, um, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty smart moviegoer and some of that stuff I missed. So funny little thing, last episode, you, you had talked about Huey Lewis and how eventually Brett Ellis, uh, and him met somewhere and kind of, they didn't want, he didn't, Huey well, Lewis didn't, didn't want to yeah. meet him. Yeah. And then I was thinking about it when Huey Lewis popped up in the movie, like they, whoever, I don't know if it's whoever it is, whoever owns the rights to his music had to sign off on it being in the film. So maybe they bridged, uh, like there was a relationship bridge oh, or something. There must be. Cause, so um, I don't. I guess you didn't see it. I, I posted a video to uh, Ink to Film that's Huey mm-hmm. Lewis and Weird Al. And they literally reenact the Jared Leto, Christian Bale scene from American Psycho. And Huey Lewis <laughs> is talking about the movie American Psycho. You got to go watch it after this. It's, it's really oh funny. Oh my God, that is great. Um, yeah, and he's he's like I I think the movie maybe even made him come around. I don't know what time that story took place. Um, like was it before the movie, but after the book? Because there was almost ten years. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe over in the, in the in the fullness of time, he came around and now now supports it because um, it seems like it. Because I don't know why else he'd do it. It was for Funny or Die too, so it was, it was pretty well That's done awesome. video. That's really funny. It's Weird Al is the guy in the chair, and Huey Lewis is talking about American Psycho and, and like walking like, around and like you. doing little okay. moves and stuff. Nice. Speaking of that, all of that was inc- like the Bale. I I wanted to just like jump on the fact that you said that Bale's Bale's uh, portrayal is is really sells this movie like he really went for it like he was like i I guess this is a good point to talk about the fact that oliver stone and leonardo dicaprio oliver stone was supposed to direct and leonardo dicaprio was supposed to be patrick bateman i heard Um, leonardo dicaprio thing yeah so i mean i don't know a lot about it but i i heard that he was at some point connected to it so apparently heron and bale were already connected to it and then oliver stone and dicaprio were bigger names so they at one point slid in to potentially be taking over and making the film, and then I guess eventually they fell out of it. Um, and I've, I read up a bunch of st- on a bunch of stuff about this, and apparently um, Christian Bale was so confident in the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to turn down the role that he turned down every other offer that he had for like nine months or something like that, and he was just like, working out like a madman, like getting ready for this role if mm-hmm. it, whenever it would come around. Um, and I mean, he was right. And it's, it's, I, could you see a, an Oliver Stone and then Leonardo DiCaprio? Like, could, can you visualize this? Do you think that that still would have been an all right movie? It would have been a very different movie. Um, yeah. and I, so DiCaprio is a great example for me. I always trot him, you know, trot him out as my example of like making decisions too quickly about actors and how I try not to do that anymore. Cause that was one where I got burned. Um, very early on, I had only seen him in these like rom-coms when he was very young, you know what I mean? When I was in high school and I was like, man, I don't like Leonardo DiCaprio. He's, you know, he's terrible. And I, you know, there was other reasons I was an idiot, but for the most part, I kind of like, like was like, he was a turnoff. If I ever saw he was in a movie, I'd be like, no way. Um, And then now he's one of my favorite actors. I I think he's incredible. Um, So I, I have learned since that like, don't see somebody's first movie, first or second movie, and then like make sweeping judgments about how their career is going to go. Cause you don't know. Um, so all that being said, I just don't, I don't know. Like, I think he probably would have done well. Um, and it's impossible to imagine what he could have brought to this role. You know what I mean? Cause like he has the ability to do some crazy stuff, but Christian Bale's physicality and the way he, um, I don't know, really, he really brought those scenes to life and God, just him dancing in that raincoat and like all that stuff. Like, I just can't imagine anyone else doing it now. No, he has great mannerisms all throughout. Just always funny. Always yeah. like always funny or unsettling or weird or all three. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make um, some assumptions. I guess I'm gonna maybe it's gonna make an ass out of me, but we'll see. So yeah. I think that if Leonardo DiCaprio, this is just a point that I want to make make about Bale's portrayal of Bateman. You were speaking just a minute ago about how you saw Leonardo DiCaprio in these roles, so you you um, saw him as as these characters. Right. I think that. The opposite is also true. I think an actor will look at a role and say, if I do this role, people might only see me as this forever. Yeah. So I think, I mean, ultimately, I think that's why Leo backed down from the role. But Christian Bale leaned so heavily into this role to where you could have seen him in this role and then never wanted to see another movie that he was in. For general audiences, he could be damning himself for being like popular to cast at this point because people will see him as this crazy psycho who you know was in this i mean think about the things that he's physically doing in this role and if even if if you just take it out of context you're like holy shit that like that's like really crazy yeah and and it's funny because he really i mean he really 
was able to overcome that. I mean, he's a white man, successful, good looking, so we don't want, shouldn't give him too many props. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not that hard <laughs> for him in that in that situation, you know, talented. Um, but he did. He he. I mean, he played Batman, right? He played a billionaire rich guy who looks very similar to Patrick Bateman and was able to pull it off in a movie in which you could have very easily seen somebody say, we're not going to cast him because people are going to be thinking of American Psycho. Right. And I think ultimately that's why Leo didn't do it. Um, but that's yeah. just me. You know, maybe something else came up. Who really knows? Yeah, who knows? So I felt like adding the detective scene much earlier in the film was a massive bonus. Like I think that that's, that's the perfect thing to do because you're putting the pressure on so much earlier. And yeah. you're making... Because you're, otherwise there's no plot to like the third you know the in like halfway through the third act or something because yeah. in the book he didn't show up until almost the, the very end and i like that they brought him back for a second scene although mm-hmm. um it's interesting because it late it does feel like a bit of a dangling thread at the end because we don't get a third scene from him right we don't get a third confrontation scene between him and, and bateman and not, so i can see why some people i think feel bewildered by the end of this movie because they're expecting this to wind up in a confrontation between him and bateman in which it comes out you know all this stuff but we don't get that um, but I think that's deliberate, right? It's the same thing in the in the book where there is no resolution and we're left to believe that this could just go on like this. The only thing we do get, I guess, is the, the secretary looking through, flipping through his drawings. So he is found out at least a little bit. At least somebody is seeing seeing something, right? Yeah. Without that scene, you take that scene. I think that that was the most um, hand-holding part of this, of this. If you take that scene out and he's not discovered in any way... The, the viewership is like at that point we know that it's manifesting in some way like whether he's just drawing we're, we're jumping way ahead but whether he's just drawing the murders in his book or yeah. it's actually happening you're almost giving the audience like an out rather than leaving it I, I just felt like that that scene take that scene out and I think it's a little more powerful and it and then you would watch it even more and I think there would be even more conversation about what went on because we're mm. still left to think like did he do it didn't he do it yeah. but with that it, there's a there's a physical representation of the fact that like it, even if he didn't do it he's thinking about it right yeah i i mean it definitely le- like really puts the thumb on the scale of this all being imaginary right like it, the movie seems to heavily imply that it is right um whereas in the book it felt more ambiguous arguably i guess her i saw in the in the same interview with charlie rose she she said that she never wanted it to feel well i guess specifically she was addressing the fact that some people had said that they felt like the whole thing was a dream yeah. she's like it, that definitely wasn't my intention so right i don't know if that was her also saying that her intention wasn't to say whether he did or didn't do it i think she she kind of said I, I i wanted it to be as ambiguous as it was in the book but ultimately i th- she thinks she felt that the the movie wasn't quite as in, ambiguous which i agree with I agree with that as well. And yeah, I guess that'll fall down to you. Like if you're the kind of person and I can totally get this who hates the idea that you've been lied to by a movie, right? Like I can see people turning on this film for that reason and I can't really fault you for it um, because I do feel like at the end you're led to imply that even if some of this stuff did happen, um, that the what you saw on screen was not an accurate representation of reality. And I can definitely see that being frustrating to people. But it's still, I think, and, you know, counter argument is I think it's very carefully done. And I think there are signs. Um, and, and I think the way that um, things are unbelievable um, really plays into it. Because that's something that's not in the book we can talk about. In the book, the uh, murder scenes are hyper real, like hyper realistic, right? And mm-hmm. nothing in there like breaks physics or breaks the laws of reality. And so we're faced with, like, I, when you read those, you you don't have that out, 
Whereas in the movie, um, I think the clear example is him dropping the chainsaw down a flight of stairs and having it impale the girl. Like it's so unrealistic. Like it would never happen. And when you see that, you're like, what? And then yeah, her pounding on doors and screaming and him running through the halls naked and covered in blood. And the idea that no one would notice and he wouldn't get caught, you know, like these things keep happening. And so that really, you know, um, shows you that what you're makes you doubt what you're seeing from the get go. Whereas in the book, I don't know that you have that. Like, you're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe what I'm reading right now. Yeah. The only time was was the shift in perspective, right, and in, in uh, point of view, in the book, wh- where we we address it in our in our movie coverage or in our book coverage. Yeah, and then the proof that he gets later at the end, right, the, where like the 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 apartment's been covered up, it seems like, and 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 cleaned, or it just never happened, and then um, him having the confrontation with the lawyer. So yeah, we get examples of it not being true, but like when we're reading it in the moment, there is I don't. I mean, maybe people have read it more closely than I did and found some stuff, but I don't remember any indicators to sh- to, to tell me that what I was reading isn't necessarily 100% true. So before we get away from it, I wanted to talk about the the, the business card scene. <laughs> I was I was um, just about to go back to it. Let's do okay. it. <laughs> business card scene is so good. Um, I loved it in the book, and I think it's even better in the movie um, because you get the sound effects. Like I love, they're almost cheesy, but it's so perfect. Like when they whip it like whoosh, and like you can hear it like like i don't know they do the like really like dramatic music right or not music sound effects as they're moving them mm-hmm. around and bale's face with every new card he just is like you, he's losing his shit and it that really is evocative of the scene in the in the book where he's like like you said in the last episode it's, it's like someone died right like his family member died or something that's how bad this stuff is mm-hmm. and he, uh, yeah the i mean the guy i we're gonna keep praising him yeah. He's like he just kills it the entire movie. It's yeah. it's crazy. Um something else I wanted to shout out in in this scene and in most in a lot of the scenes actually that I noticed in this viewing is the lighting. So lighting for certain business cards and the insert shots where you'll see like somebody like, you know, their hand enters with their business card and the way that like they do actually have to shoot so that the viewer can see like the texture in the card or like the diff- you know what I mean the raised text rather yeah. than like the so so like that's like stuff that they had to think about when shooting to make each because like as you see them you are like oh that card is better than the last one and that card like like debatably but I feel like each card that comes out you are like oh that card is a little bit really? nicer. See, I was sitting there thinking like these all look almost as identical to one another. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I guess it's like I'm of two minds though because I can see the differences but also they feel very unimportant. Right. So of, I'm of two minds as I'm watching it. Like these are all the same fucking card. Well, they're the de- part, they're definitely they're, not important. It's yeah. not important. It's just like yeah, I don't you can know. see what what they're you can kind of imagine what they're what they're picking up on. Now I do want to I do want to call this is something that's been going around on Reddit and I've seen I've seen elsewhere. Um, there's famously uh, errors in these cards. Did you know this? I think I saw something about this one time a long time ago. Yeah. So uh, on Bateman's card, um, there's two errors. Um, so Pierce and Pierce is the name of the like company they work work at or whatever, and uh-huh. there's no space between the uh, the and sign and the second Pierce. So it's Pierce space and sign and then Pierce right against it. So like wow. a typography error, right? Um, that was now, that was definitely purposeful though. It could be intentional, that, um, and I, and you could argue that maybe it's something about they're trying to say something about Bateman's imperfection. Or something like like he he isn't as perfect as he likes to think he is something like that, mm-hmm. um, but I um, mean then and then it's all and all the other cards the Pierce and Pierce does have a space. Some people could argue it's some sort of stylistic choice, like maybe the person just thought it looked better. Um, 
But the one that I, I don't think there's any good reason for is the word acquisitions is misspelled on all of the cards in the same Wait, way. No, no, no. But you, so you don't think there's a good reason for that? You don't think that like there that that, that was intentional? I think that could be. I mean, I guess it could be somebody fucking up on all the cards. It, it, it's, if only Bateman's had it misspelled, I think it would it would absolutely be intentional. But if all if it's misspelled on all of them, it doesn't make any sense to me other than it's just a mistake, like in prop design, <laughs> because it literally it's just the word like the letter C is missing from the word acquisitions on all four of their cards. And I don't huh. know like what if if you if if it is intentional, what is the reason? I guess is my question. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean. I- I mean, I see what you're saying with it being just Bateman, but I also think like, it, I don't know, if somebody was like, okay, so all these people have their cards misspelled, are they talking, are they saying like all these people are so self, self-centered and they can't be bothered to actually, so there's moments where it's like everybody thinks they're so important, right? And like right. Bateman at one point like gets into his office and he's like telling his secretary what to do and he's doing all this stuff and he's acting like he's busy. And then the next thing you know, he puts his feet up and he's watching like Jeopardy or something. Sure. So it's like, is it all fake? And like, are all these people like actually like, oh, I went to this place and I did the thing that I was supposed to do, but I never actually looked at the business card or yeah. something like that. Like, I don't know. You you could, who knows? Probably more likely than not, it, there it was an error in props, but I don't know. Could be intentional. Yeah. I mean, I think the only counter argument to that is just that it's the same misspelling, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, on all four of these people's cards. And so- right. How would that happen? Like that doesn't back up the idea that they're just not maybe uh, paying attention. Yeah, because if that was the case, you could maybe if each card had a minor error in a different way, then that could very easily. But the idea that it would all be the same error seems too too indicative of like like the same the same person made all these cards and they did not spell acquisitions. I think is exactly what happened. Yeah, I think you're (laughs) probably right. Honestly, that's so funny though. You know, on the day like somebody realized it probably, and then they were just like, "What? What are we gonna do? We can't get new ones printed. We gotta roll." Yeah, and what sucks is like if the if the Pierce and Pierce mistake was intentional, this kind of draws away from it, right? Because it makes it seem like that one was an accident, an accident as well. But if everything else was perfect, you could just look at that mistake as some sort of deliberate choice. Um, but regardless, uh, let's move on. Great scene regard, you know, and that's something you only notice if you pause it and study each letter of every, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which people have done, of course, cause it's the internet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, one thing, just another, I mean, we've talked so much about Bale's performance, but when he says the words, let's see Paul Allen's card, I'd been seeing that in a meme and I didn't remember how he delivers that line, but he delivers that line. Like he is like choking on something. <laughs> It, it's it's um it like I just thought it was really cool. Like he chokes out the words. Let's see Paul Allen's card. He can barely bring himself to say it. Um, and then he's so furious he like drops the card and can't. Yeah, he just, it, it just drops it. It's so good. And then oh, uh, which reminds me. So Lewis in the movie. Um, I didn't like how overt they made his homosexuality. Yeah, um, it was kind of. It yeah. was very obvious and like frustratingly so um i think i think because it falls into stereotypes like he was very effeminate uh, or feminine and very um he had he had like a bow tie when everybody else didn't um he dressed differently he he acted differently um and which kind of telegraphs it and like it, it, it would have been it. so much more su- surprising or whatever the they were trying to portray with him actually being homosexual yeah uh, it would have just played better if he would just look like everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think that was a mistake. So, so to, yeah, to, in my opinion, that was a mistake to, to telegraph it so much. Oh, I did. Um, so right after this, we get him murdering the uh, homeless guy and he stomps on the dog 
And uh, I just want to say I turned to my dog when we were watching that scene, and I said, I'm sorry you had to see that. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was there a face given? <laughs> well, she was actually, so she was laying next to me kind of looking at the screen when it happened, mm-hmm. which made me say it, because, like, I noticed she was kind of watching the screen, and then, like, that scene happened, and I felt so, I was like, oh, sorry you had to see that. <laughs> no, they was didn't it, actually was... show anything, but you hear the yelping and stuff, so. Right. Uh, was yeah. anybody else in the room? No, it was just me and her, and I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> the dog great. was very sad. So, um, yeah, I, I, I apologize to her. <laughs> yeah, um, which which I should point out, like as a dog lover, um, yes, the dog scenes in both the movie and the book are probably the hardest to watch, and the movie is like next to nothing. But mm-hmm. um, for me personally, it's just you know that's my spot where it 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 really gets me. And the book, like in the book, there's some crazy shit that happens, but him stomping on the dog in the book is like. It just reminds me of what there's a scene in um, it that we covered in one of our early episodes, right? I think episode four or something um, that that deals with uh, uh, one of the characters murdering a bunch of animals and uh, some of them dogs and cats and stuff. And it's just that that stuff's so hard for me and um, affecting. So like that's when I think about like like and, and honestly like it's almost a trigger for me to where I almost can't watch stuff like that. Um, but I would say not quite. Um, so like that's one of the things that I get when people talk about how there can be triggering things in, in, in art that you just can't handle because um, like violence against dogs uh, is something that is almost that for me. Yeah, it's tough. So the scene where he murders Paul Allen, um, I wanted to give props because there's there's something that I think I think is pretty different than the book um, in that uh, Mary Heron takes the scene like the chapters where he's just giving these like music reviews, right? And instead of doing that, he Bale delivers them to characters while he's menacing them and while we know he's about to kill them. And so she creates this like um, tension between what we know is about to happen and what the characters don't know is about to happen and then fills it with him listing off an inane review of music. And to me, that makes those scenes work just so much better, honestly, mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, I agree. It's not to say they didn't work at all in the book. They just work in a very different way. In the movie, the idea of that he's going to sit there and tell this guy all about Huey Lewis and then like dancing around and acting all friendly while he's also getting a raincoat on, there's newspaper on the ground, he's getting an axe, and he's doing all this while he's talking and just like dazzling the guy with his charisma. Um, It's just so good. And like, uh, I also just love how Paul Allen at no point knows who he is. Like, he's completely mistaken him for this other guy. Um, which, like I said, that's a clear cause and effect. Like he, the slight of him not knowing who he is is so insulting to Bateman that that's why he kills Paul Allen. And and he's know. also on the other account that he's really interested in. Like he really wants True. that other account. It's so prestigious. Um, I the music thing where he's he's giving the reviews while he's like dancing around. It also makes him all the more. He's more of a psycho from it, right? Like yes, he's. It makes him so much more like. Rather than just talking about it, he feels like he has to like because he's it's like inner inner monologue stuff that we're getting in the book, and then here it's like he's like you need to know my opinion on this. You need to hear it, even though you're about to die. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's yeah, it's it's um it's very performative, and and I guess you if you look at it like a meta level, it it really ties into the idea of this all being like a fantasy. Because if you're if you're if you're if you're having a fantasy about killing somebody, it's like not just killing them. It's also like lording over them your knowledge and just like wowing them with your, you know, how how well, you know, music before you kill them. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just you can see it all being part of the fantasy, too. Mm-hmm. So it works on that level as well, man. And he just Bale just dominates those scenes and, and his presence. Just, just It's just something to behold. So speaking of Christian Bale's kind of mannerisms and, and like his presence, 
And this is a post that I found on Reddit on r slash today I learned by user uh, stone77. Heron was quoted as saying, we talked about how Martian like Patrick Bateman was, how he was looking at the world like somebody from another planet, watching what people did and trying to work out the right way to behave. And then one day he called me and he had been watching Tom Cruise on David Letterman and he just had this very intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes and he was really taken with his ener- this energy. So like apparently <laughs> yeah. Christian Bale based his performance off of Tom Cruise, which ties back into the book where Bateman meets Cruise. That's funny. Yeah, and I love the idea of him acting like a Martian. Um, I actually wrote down something exactly to that effect. There's a late, the second um, scene with the detective. He watches him put salt on his food and then yeah. he like reaches over and grabs the salt like his arm doesn't even know what it's doing. And he like kind of knocks it around and then he takes it and he just like dumps half the salt shaker on his food and <laughs> just like tosses it aside. And it's so weird. And like the whole time he's maintaining eye contact with him. Um, mm-hmm. And so like on first blush, it's just him trying to be nonchalant and failing. But the other thing that's funny about it is the idea that they're at like a they're at like a terrible restaurant and he doesn't know how to eat at a bad restaurant at like a or like an average restaurant and like he sees this as like oh i have to put salt on i guess i'll do that and i'm so unfamiliar with the concept of putting salt on a meal i'm just gonna (laughs) dump it like i I don't know it's really like low-key hilarious i like that yeah i i kind of thought of it more as like he was so like he was so scared that this guy had details on all the things that he had done that he was just like not able to pay attention but i think i like yours more i like that well i think it's both but like i that that gives me but that fuels my my argument right where she where he's talking about bail acting like a martian because that was totally the vibe i was getting from him is he just didn't know how to behave in that in that place yeah so what do you think about Tom Cruise being seen as like a more normal person than Bateman in <laughs> in the book and then and then Bale kind of basing Tom Cruise for his actual movie? Well, and, and it also ties into, um, to stretch it a little bit, it ties into what we saw with U2 and Bono. Because in the mm-hmm. book, he, he sees Bono as like a devil, very similar to him. And so I like that idea that like it's maybe brought to life more and that the idea that um, some celebrities might not be... Uh, as likable as they as they want to seem. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of devil, there is one. There is one. Uh, Patrick Bateman looking for a Donald Trump line. There's. Oh, yeah. I think there's a couple of Trump lines, but like I think one of them is Ivana, and the other yeah, one was right. like he was like looking out the window and he's like, "Is that Trump's car or something yeah, like that?" Which almost felt like an Easter egg for the book to me. Right. That's how it, I felt about yeah. it too. Yeah, which I wasn't is, excited which, to hear the name. It was just like, oh, that was like a throwback <laughs> to the book. Yeah, we we talk about it at length in our book episode about how. Um, he really looks up to Trump and how he's this ideal man to him and how much that makes sense. Um, So if you want to hear more of that book episode, for sure. So for those of you who don't know, we have started a Patreon and we just released our third bonus episode uh, this week. So if you wanted to get bonus content from Make the Film, that's how to do it. In this most recent episode, we got into, uh, I was talking about Valuable Paradise workshop that I'm going to be attending later this year. Um, We talked about In Your Right Mind workshop that I was just at. And then we got into adaptation news. And we even had a nice conversation about the Annihilation tattoo, the Ouroboros tattoo. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And most of the topics that we talked about this week were patron suggested, which was a lot of fun. So we think we're definitely going to try to try to do that a lot. Anything that any of our patrons are interested in hearing about, we're going to try very hard to talk about those things. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to learn how to get in on that, how to hear those episodes and find out what other kind of uh, benefits you get for being a patron, uh, just go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film and you can see it all laid out there. We have multiple tiers with different rewards and stuff like that. So the best way to figure out what that what's all into that is to just check it out. 
so there's another scene where they're they're all of the men are at dinner together. Lewis goes to the bathroom. No, he shows he shows up. He says, "Take a look at my card." That's what it is. Yeah, right. He shows him his card. Did you look uh, at it? Did you get a good look at it? Well, I thought it was better. I think it was the best card of the in the movie, in my opinion. Isn't it like green and red and gold or something though? It's It's like like it's like it looked like everybody else's card, but I think the lettering was just gold. But maybe maybe it had other colors. I think there was also green on it. Now I could be wrong about that because I didn't I didn't pause it and I should have. I didn't rewind it and go and like pause it to like really take a look at it. But I thought when I first saw it, it like there was like gold and and green or something. So it was like. It was very over the top. And so mm-hmm. all of them have this like, oh, yeah, that's nice. But like they're all you can tell they're all secretly going. That's terrible. Right. Oh, really? Because I felt like like I felt like some of them actually did genuinely think it looked good. Oh, no, I didn't read that that way at all. I thought the other guys, they, they go, they go, oh, yeah, that's nice, Lewis. And they're just saying it, but they don't actually mean it. Like they're not like they're all really excited in the previous scene at every new card and genuinely excited about it, whereas they were very dismissive. Um, and I think it's because they think it doesn't look good. Why did Bateman get angry then? Bale is furious because I think he hates it so much. Like, it's so bad that I think that's why he tries to kill him. I thought it was because he was like the one-upsmanship. I thought that he was like, I'm sick of this. Oh, no. I thought it was like, how dare you have such a terrible card? I'm going to come murder you over it. Wow. That's that's interesting. (laughs) Maybe, I mean, I'll have to check that out next time. Maybe I'll look at it differently. Yeah. And I think that's my first time seeing it that way. But that's because I noticed that the card had two different colors on it, which I think is a pretty, pretty big thing not to do. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I noticed that. Yeah. So, uh, Bateman follows him into the bathroom, and he's like slipping gloves on as, as he's heading into the bathroom. Uh, and he comes up behind him and like grabs. He's very slowly. If you're gonna strangle somebody, I feel like it would be fast. But he very slowly like grabs his. Maybe this is him like relishing in murdering people. But he very slowly like starts to grab his neck, and then yeah, it turns into Lewis uh, misreading the situation and thinking that Bateman's coming on to Lewis, and then Lewis comes on to Bateman. Yeah, I noticed that. So he does it when he's at the urinal and um, he just like turns around and starts like talking to him. And the whole time I was just thinking like his dick's out. <laughs> like it's He didn't awkward. he didn't button up his pants up. I don't think he does because he just spins around. and He has this whole thing about like, oh, finally, you know, like, I've been waiting for you to come on to me, like all this stuff. And like the whole time I think his dick's just hanging out. <laughs> wow. Um, but so the thing I love about that scene, my absolute favorite detail and the reason I had to talk about it is he goes over to the sink and he washes his gloves off yeah it's so good the idea that he's gonna wash he puts his gloves under the water with soap and and just washes them and i just it's such a bateman moment like he's he just he's so he's so homophobic that the idea that he's touched somebody through gloves is just like reprehensible to him yeah full-on psycho so at this point bateman goes to um find a prostitute and he's riding around in the limo and he finds one um, and he entices her into the car and she comes along and he on the way he's calling another prostitute. Yeah. So he basically picked up a prostitute who was like on the streets and then he called, I'm assuming, like a high end prostitute. Yeah. Um, what do you make of that? The fact that he called two different yeah i think it's very deliberate i think he he likes the idea of equating these two with each other he doesn't want you know what i mean like i think that's Mm -hmm. it's 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 it's, that is very bateman from the book to me like that idea that 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 he's gonna do that um and then i also in the movie he he makes it very clear to say that he he is paul allen to them multiple times Mm -hmm. and talk about his apartment and uses his name repeatedly um which makes it very like like i said like there's a reason he's doing it it's to establish like to try and make it seem like Paul Allen's still alive and doing things for the mm-hmm. investigation. Um, whereas these scenes happen in the book for no reason right. other than his like 
you know, his psychosis, <laughs> his need to kill people, and, 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 well, you know, he doesn't kill them right away, and which also he doesn't do in the book. Um, it's more of a ramping up thing, but it, there's no real reason for it, I guess, that I did, that I, that I detected at least in, in the book. Yeah. So, uh, when they get back to the apartment, you know, they start to, he, he like starts filming them and making them do weird stuff. And, uh, what <laughs> did you make of like during all of the sex, he was like, I mean, obviously we know that he's a narcissist and all this stuff, but like, just like, even if it's just like Bale's performance of it, how insanely ridiculous it is. Like he's like flexing in the mirrors and like, he will only look at himself. Uh, and it's just full on narcissism on display to me it's all for the camera. Um, cause he, he, he has the camera up and he's like pointing at the camera and like winking and flexing and doing all this stuff. And, um, yeah, I love the, when it would cut to, uh, one of, one of the hookers who, um, uh, or one of the prostitutes who, um, had this look on her face, like she was kind of like studying him, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, look at this weird dude. Like, I can see that this guy, something is wrong with this guy, right? Yeah. The way he's like, he's, he's having a three way right now with us and he's way more, interested in posing and like looking good for the camera than he is than what's going on which is probably pretty unusual if you're in that line of work i would assume that's not how most men are (laughs) yeah so uh this also kind of like plays into something that you had you had talked about before in a past episode uh the idea that he's parroting things that he's seeing and doing he's watching porn throughout the entire movie absolutely he's making so he's a porno like, here yeah. right he's just making a porno and he thinks like these are the things that you do and like he's again like kind of martian like he's like pointing and winking and doing all kinds of weird shit sir are, are you suggesting there's there is a way we can watch this movie and assume that patrick bateman is not a psycho he is in fact a martian who has come over to earth and embodying christian bale's uh you know body and just like doesn't know how to behave and thinks this is all normal and well yeah and uh, he keeps well he and he looks up you know he's parroting the uh, famous killers as well the serial killers and stuff too so maybe it's just like the alien the first thing the alien found was like a book on serial killers yeah he was like these moved. are the celebrities of this culture obviously they're just people to emulate right <laughs> so yeah the theories here uh if you guys want to take that and run with it uh start <laughs> to spread that around it was, he's definitely a martian <laughs> yeah bateman is a martian but man i i so I, I don't remember if it's this scene or i think it's later with the secretary uh, again the um him walking around with the duct tape and then later the nail gun and he holds it to her head and then he only doesn't kill her i think because he gets a phone call from evelyn which he just lets play out he just lets that phone the the message play out the whole time just to torture her and yeah but then he lets her go and so like i don't know to me this is a subtle difference in book and movie bateman right because mm-hmm. i feel like movie uh, book bateman is even more sadistic and this moment of mercy he has on his secretary, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess something similar does happen in the book, but it just it just feels like a slightly different character to me, um, which is fine. Like, I think it's fine to do that, to change the character ever so ever so slightly. I feel like he even though later he's he has a phone call to his lawyer and he kind of Easter eggs some of the other kills that he does in the book. Yeah he's not acting like he normally does like he he's like there's like something there where he's like almost a little bit more human but in the end like his inhumanness overcomes that and he ultimately is just like you're lucky basically he just like lets her leave and it's like a moment of like somewhat i guess like weird compassion 
that he doesn't get murder her right there. And you could argue that it might be it might be that she's useful to him as a secretary. He likes having her as a secretary, so he doesn't kill her for that reason, mm-hmm. which is backed up by her reminding him of a of a lunch date that he had forgotten about before she leaves. Yeah, but I don't I don't know. It's it's I I think it is interesting to try and figure out why he doesn't do it there. Um, and like I said, to me, it seems to say that he isn't quite as far gone as we see the book Bateman is, who he's completely fine with sadistically murdering everybody and in the cruelest and most painful and terrible torturous ways possible and i mean that's backed up by the fact that in the movie it seems like bateman also has like at least some sort of like self-preservation instinct where he's trying to get the the detective to go search down different avenues whereas i feel like book bateman is just like whatever happens happens like i'm just gonna you know yeah he um he does not at all to me seem at all afraid to be caught um he's more like assumes he will eventually be caught and he's just like on borrowed time is kind of what he says at one point like eventually they'll probably catch me but Mm -hmm. he's not overly concerned about it so i think next we'll talk about the the actual murder of the this the exact it's not the exact same two no it's because it's it's a it's a a woman and this is another example of like the like um, patented bait and cruelty right like that he has the prostitute along with someone he knows in real life doesn't isn't even aware that she's a prostitute she he lies and says it's a cousin right she's a cousin right. so which isn't um, isn't less weird no right. it's, it's definitely very weird but i don't know it just uh the idea that he's also lying to them um i think is 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 implied there because there's like the implication of he's treating her like she's a prostitute as well yeah he's equating them i guess so in in this scene, uh, we get what you were talking about, where he murders her in the bed. He murders his friend in the bed, and yeah. And after. Um, after reading the book, I understand that scene a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I won't go into details, but um, yeah, what's going on underneath those covers isn't uh, is pretty terrible. But yeah, yeah, and then and then the, her fleeing, and I think like you said, there's kind of some Easter eggs to like the kind of stuff we get in the book, like and and her running around just seeing the hanging bodies and all this stuff, and then. Ah, man, the him, you'll never forget seeing Christian Bale run down a hallway with a chainsaw covered head to toe in blood and just his shoes and like yeah. the look on his face. Like it is iconic. It's an iconic moment in film, I want to say. Like it's it's really something. I think it is. A, I think it is a memorable moment for sure. And I think it's it's one that sticks out to a lot of people. And also it there's the, the this is like a shift, right? This is a shift in genre almost because up to this point, this is like full on slasher, right? Because he's got the yes. chainsaw. He's chasing. There's blood like the slasher never cares about any other force of authority. Like it's just going to ki- try to kill nonsense. And that's what he does in this moment. He's just running in the hallway. She's screaming. It's this, this scene is a slasher scene. I don't think that the film is a slasher movie, but I think that this scene does genre shift and then it shifts back. And it, um, so the first time, like you know, you said, we see him watching porn and then he has sex and it's very pornographic and it's very similar. And, and in fact, he has them doing similar positions and stuff that we see in the, in the porn that he's watching. Mm-hmm. Um, he is also later watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Exactly, and we had a screaming girl. And we get the psycho, run, you know, running around with a chainsaw over his head, and then later we get exactly that too. So these are both set up, I think, narratively to be scenes from um, earlier parts of the movie that then pay off later, right? Like it's 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 crafted in such a way, and um, I like that. I think it gives it gives some nice um, pattern establishing things, which which we also got in the book, but in a different way. So the next scene, he tries to break up with Evelyn and uh, is really upset by the fact that she's making a scene. Cool, because it cuts right to him drawing the, the murderer murder. on the um, tablecloth at the mm-hmm. restaurant with crayons. 
So I think that's another heavily implication that what we just saw was him fantasizing. Right. right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it seems like it's 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 spelled out a lot more. And is sure. he trying, maybe you could argue he's trying to build up the confidence to break up with Evelyn. And like his way of doing that is fantasizing about murdering, mur- murdering her in that, you know, in that way or not her, but like murdering somebody in that way and the power that would give you or make yeah. you feel. Um, so that's his way of like psyching himself up. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's really interesting how he is so intimidated and kind of like, like his his girlfriend has the upper hand in every scene she's in. I felt like right, she's too much for him, um, and, she, and the way just, she makes a scene and embarrasses him. And but then like clearly she doesn't give a shit. Like she's not, she doesn't care. And then right. like after he leaves, she's just like, oh well, you know. And like I want to give props to how Reese Witherspoon does in that role because I thought she was really really cool. And it's also cool to see her like you know really young and and this is before her career i think really took off although i could be wrong about that um but yeah she does a great job as evelyn and um in the little bit of uh screen time she gets you get the impression that she actually has the um the upper hand in this relationship yeah and so based on this situation patrick bateman like loses his shit and he like goes to an atm at night and like he's gonna pull out money and the atm's telling him to stuff a kitten into the atm so uh, the i the him like kind of holding the kitten up to the atm and trying to see how it would fit in the slot is so <laughs> funny um and then he pulls out the gun um, and, and the way he pulls out the gun is also very like dreamlike right because it's like why would he have this gun in his like inner pocket like just well i think he's almost handgun. like surprised from it as well yeah he like bit. acts like he didn't even know it was there right like yeah yeah. So he, and then yeah, he kills a bunch of people. He kills like a bunch of cops, and there's explosions. And they he explode. Kills doorman. And he looks at the gun like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Yeah. He kills doorman on his way into buildings, and then uh, Man, on it's so funny how action. he goes to leave, and then he spins back around through the turnstile and shoots the janitor, and then goes out like that. That was like, absurdly a funny. funny scene, like like yeah. that was genuinely funny. Like it's a it's fucked up, but it was like really funny that he like yeah. looped back around and popped him. It's absurd. <laughs> and so he finally gets to his actual office and doesn't kill that doorman and goes up and makes the confession phone call to his lawyer. And that's what I was talking about. We get a lot of Easter eggs of, of people that he's killed. He says all these people he's killed and he doesn't know exact numbers. And then we know later that this is this is him leaving a message and then his lawyer will see this as a joke Yeah. Um, once he meets up with him. But basically soon after this, he makes a phone call to his assistant and he's like freaking out and she can't calm him down and he's just like lost it he's over the deep end and there's this moment where they hang up and it lingers on her and she looks into the camera do you remember this no she looks like blatantly looks into the camera looks away for a second and then looks back into the camera and then it cuts away hmm and so what, I was, what like, was the implication of that i'm not that's what i was going to ask you like what what do you think that could mean was that like a nod to the audience like look how crazy this has gotten and like is this real is it like a head nodding moment or was it was it i don't know i guess if you hadn't if you didn't see it you might not be able to parse i think i took it to be more just her kind of like looking in thought but i I guess i didn't notice that it was right at the camera um but yeah i remember those scenes as just her being kind of like wondering what is what is going on and and thinking about it and maybe like thinking about past things he's done that's been weird and and trying to make connections and that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I guess I didn't notice that she looked at the camera, so I don't really know what to make of that. Yeah, I felt like it was basically, I I did feel like it was a little bit of a nod, like, like, whoa, wasn't that crazy? Like things have really, really gotten away from how they started. Uh, But I don't know, maybe it's nothing, so. I do like how Bateman is 
like when you say losing his shit, like he does a really good job. Like his it's like his clothes aren't fitting him anymore. It's like he's sweating. His hair's disheveled. His completely he's completely coming unglued. Mm-hmm. And that scene in his physical performance, um, he's like crying when he's on the phone, laughing, laughing. crying, yeah. just like it, he just it's really cool. Like uh, that's it's really well done. Also, the message that he leaves for the lawyer is is really a great scene as well. Like, just in yeah. terms of acting prowess, like he just, oh my god, he's just like freaking out and like laughing, and he's like completely. You totally buy it that he this is a, like, this is his confession, and this is how it would go for someone like this. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. basically, this is this is kind of the end here. Uh, Bateman goes to the restaurant. And kind of at the same time, his assistant is finding all of the drawings in in the notebooks in his drawers and stuff. And he shows up at the restaurant and everything's fairly normal. He shows up and and he's all sweating and freaking out and everybody's like, you're all right. And he's like, but he's put himself together a little bit. Yeah. Like, like as much as he can, because he knows he can't be like totally unhinged. I do like how he says he's very adamant. He's like, I'm not going anywhere without a reservation. (laughs) Did you? Well, Um, I took that to be I took that to be like he was the detective, right? Like so that he would have an alibi of where he was. Oh, I didn't even think about that. To me, it was just him falling back into his old ways. Like, fall, like that was something he knows he's supposed to say in that moment, even though he like doesn't care. Like right. to me, that seems like the furthest thing from his mind. But he knows that that's expected of him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I read it. But I can see that. Yeah, like if he's more concerned about alibis and stuff. Although at this point, he thinks he's caught. Right? Like he goes and talks to his. Although I guess he goes to talk to his lawyer to maybe try and smooth things over. Is like his original reason for going to talk to the lawyer. But then the, the lawyer famously thinks he's somebody else, make, thinks it's all a joke, um, and then he fe- then like he comes around and instead he feels like he's trying to convince him that it's true, and yeah, I don't know, that's a really cool scene. Um, but I one of the things that made me, so so the lawyer says he had dinner with Paul Allen twice when he was in London, and I remembered this time I picked up on the fact that the detective the first time he's talking about it says there was a case of mistaken identity where somebody claimed to have seen paul allen had lunch with him but then it ended up being somebody else named blah blah blah, and they gave a name so i feel like they are threading the possibility that this is actually just the lawyer having a case of mistaken identity where he thought he had lunch with paul Allen twice but it was actually somebody else but 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 the idea i mean like where he also doesn't even recognize bateman he thinks he's somebody else so i feel like there's a lot of ways you could read this as mistaken identity and maybe Bateman really did kill Paul Paul Allen, and he's just kind of being driven insane by the the like the the um, social circles he runs in, where everybody's so interchangeable, and and that's kind of coming back to bite him, and so that that lack of identity is like maddening, I guess. Um, yeah. That's an alternative reading. I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to it, but I kind of picked up on it this time. Yeah, because I, I like the idea that it is ambiguous, and I like that, that that's what Heron was going for, and she, she kind of threaded that back in at the end to where it, it is kind of both, which is good. Uh, and then kind of the last thing that I had was the when they were at the restaurant at the very end, there's a, there's a door in the background and a sign on it that says, this is not an exit. Oh, really? Yeah, Did I didn't catch it? that. No, I didn't yeah. catch it. It's literally right behind Bateman, and I thought it was a cool little Easter egg there. Oh, that is cool. I should have I noticed that. Um, I, I did, I, it ends slightly differently in that he says... Um, this confession has meant nothing, right? That's the words we end on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get your take on on that change, and and do you think that changes any of the any of the thrust of the novel and the movie, or is it like more of just kind of the similar thought? 
Uh, I think it's similar because it's, but for me, the, the, this confession is almost to us, the audience. And this like entire movie is him confessing all of this stuff. And he could be just confessing, like, I'm confessing this is how I feel in my mind. And this is where I am because of society or whatever reasons. I agree. I think it draws more attention to the idea that what you're viewing is a confession. And we kind of talked about how what we were reading in the book could be seen as like, I thought it was more, the book is like him like journaling almost about and like showing off. Um, and you could see the movie as like something kind of similar, but maybe also a confession that means nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So I have three more things I want to hit you with. I They're all from this article I just read um, before recording. And I wanted to um, share them with you and just see what your, what your take is on them. But I think we should save that to the very end. Let's do it. So we wanted to shout out one of our patrons, actually our newest patron, Grant. We wanted to thank you for becoming a patron and uh, just give you a shout out for, for coming on board. Yeah, and I know he's a fan of this movie and this book, so I hopefully you enjoyed our coverage. Um, yeah, definitely thank you for, for supporting us. Um, if you want to support us, it's patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Um, also, if you wanted to support us and not have to uh, spend any money, uh, leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever is super helpful. It helps us to get the, the, the show out there and, and, and more people's ears. Another way to help us spread the word is to uh, connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And, you know, anything you find that you think that will be that Ink to Film will, will enjoy, send them our way. And also any feedback that you have for this episode or any of our upcoming projects, you can send to inktofilm at gmail.com. Which I should mention, our next project is Jaws. Uh, we're going to continue our our summer of monsters. We're calling it right, and uh, we're we're going to head uh, we're going to head into head into Jaws and and Spielberg again, our old friend. Um, so yeah, that, I'm looking forward to that for sure. All right, so let's just get into these last few things. So real quick, the um, the movie was originally supposed to be directed by Stuart Gordon, who who did a Reanimator. Um, but then I guess it, it, it fell apart. But Johnny Depp was supposed to play Patrick Bateman. I did hear that. I heard John. He was. I think he was campaigning for it. Like I think that he like he wanted to be Patrick Bateman. He was going around like trying to get that done. Yeah. That now so that crazy. would be truly something different. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean that guy is kind of crazy. So who knows what he could have done with the role? But um, I'm just imagining like like uh, imagining Willy Wonka as uh, Patrick Bateman. So. <laughs> Um, so also David Cronenberg was attached to direct it at one point. Did you know this? I did not. I, lo- I mean, I love Cronenberg though. So yeah, I, I don't so know if this it, is really his niche, but it would have been, I would have, I, I don't know, maybe in an alternate so get this. universe. In his version, the movie ended with a huge musical number on top of the World Trade Center. Okay. So, yep. Didn't, I don't want to see that actually. <laughs> uh, very different, very different idea of the movie, right? Um, that's that's really something. Oh, and then another uh, just random thing. We talked about it before, um, but Bale, lots of people tried to talk Bale out of taking this role because they said that it was going to be career suicide for him. Oh, yeah. So he did he did have to kind of stick to his guns to do it and believe in it. Um, so and I think it worked out for him. Um, you know, it may have been rocky for a while there, but I think uh, ultimately in the fullness of time, it's, it ended up working out for him. Yeah, I mean, he's an actor who who I think it was his first way to really show how extreme he was willing to go um for a role and i mean he's just continued to do that 
Yeah. Now, times. I mean, you can you can argue that maybe he's a bit of a dick. Um, I think there's that whole thing oh, with I'm him sure. yelling mm. at the set guy. You know, yeah. You've probably heard that recording. Oh yeah. Um, but I think he did apologize. Oh, for da, da, it. like this in the background. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, maybe he's a bit of that like Tom Cruise uh, crazy guy behind the eyes. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's man. a bit of that in real life. I don't. know. I don't know. Long days is... on set. I don't know. People people get heated. I'll give him yeah. the benefit of the doubt, but I have heard other things besides that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure that he's not the nicest of people, but yeah. who really knows? Who could, I don't who know. So. He, he, yeah, this movie, this movie, he did a good job. So uh, I think that's where we're going to leave American Psycho. You know, it's been a fun project. It's been a short, shorter one for us. We only had two weeks on it, but I think um, I think I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, I guess if you can say that, it was disturbing and interesting uh, and 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 really something. I don't know what was. Yeah, what was your thoughts on just this project as a whole? Like. I, I'm glad that I've revisited because I, I was starting to kind of, uh, it felt a little like in my memory, it was getting a little stale. Like I was thinking like, oh, I don't know if it really holds up as well as I remember it. And I, I really like the movie. I think that it's definitely of its time. Like it feels like an early 2000s movie, but it's, it's, it's solid. I think it's a solid movie. I actually think I like the movie more than the book. So that reminds me when I originally saw this movie, I thought it was a early 90s movie or like you know what i mean like it was made around the time that it was portraying it wasn't oh, yeah. until the second time i saw it that i realized um that it was like a much later movie depicting a specific point in time um, yeah because it is kind of a period piece it is yeah because it was made in 2000 but it's set in 1987 so yeah right. um anyway uh i i, I guess that's it I've, I've run out of things to talk about um i think we should wrap but uh yeah make sure you join us next week we're going to start out with jaws and I'm excited for that. So hopefully you'll join us for that. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. All right. Until then, I'm Luke. And I'm James. See you guys.